<laughs> I, uh, Molly, I just would like to point out that while we were recording this, 100 people shared their favorite bridge with me. It's because you're running a personality cult on Twitter, Paul. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday, March the 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and aspiring Sonja Bakara, and with me today are <laughs> Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Political Pictogram Matchmaker, and we also welcome back Dutch News Contributing Editor and Royal Racism Watcher, Molly Quell. <laughs> it's so Woo! nice to be back, guys. It's been a long time. Yes, very nice. Yeah. How is Truby um, doing? Truby is doing fantastic. He was All hanging right. out with the uh, the package delivery person earlier today, who he's befriended <laughs> during lockdown because they're here all the time. So, they're, they're actual friends, or is it a is it a one sided friend thing? The post and L guy for our street is a goddamn genius because he brings cookies for Truby. Wow. And, really? Yeah. And so now Truby comes to alert us when the guy just even arrives on the street. So we are already ready at the door by the time the guy like gets out of his truck, ready to go. He's 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 trained Truby better than than the expensive, you know, dog trainer that yeah. we hired to try to teach him to walk on the leash better has. So, yeah. That's this amazing. Br- I, I was going to yeah. say there's no way that the, uh, the the delivery guy could be more excited about seeing Truby than the opposite way around, but I'm not sure now. No, I think that I mean, I think he did, I think he's a real dog person here. It's quite funny. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's a pretty genius tactic if you're a delivery person to just bring good dog treats with you everywhere. Because rather than being, like, chased by the dogs in residence, they all love you. Mm. So it's kind of a smart move on his part, frankly. But do they not chase him now because they want to get the treats? Yeah, that's that's becoming (laughs) the problem. Now Truby barks at him if he he pulls up on our street but doesn't come to our house. So... Uh. (laughs) <laughs> but that's not his problem. No, it's not. <laughs> so it remains a brilliant strategy. It's a pretty brilliant strategy, I yeah. have to say. So has anything happened since I've been gone? Well, well, you. Yeah, well, I mean, so stuff has been happening because uh, you, you've been paying a lot of attention, I see, to this uh, uh, interview uh, with uh, Oprah and um, uh, the uh, exiled royal couple. So yeah, uh, America has been really enjoying the comeuppance of the royal family. Uh, I haven't been watching it. I haven't been watched. I haven't watched a minute of it. I've watched none of it. So I, I, I need you to update me on what's going on. <laughs> I, I am great to get rid of to get away from these people. Was it on Saturday or Sunday? I don't remember which day of the week it this aired. But yeah, Harry and the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, his wife, his American wife, sat down with Oprah to discuss their like sort of exile from the royal family, and. It was, I, I feel, a very intense interview. Um, Oprah is an excellent interviewer, of course, and so she got them to say all kinds of interesting things, which does not make the royal family look great. Although anybody that is surprised that an institution that was created as a heretical monarchy and perpetuated colonialism for 300 years was going to have like a racially problematic situation. I don't, <laughs> well, I don't understand why anybody was surprised by this. I mean, given that the last monarch, given that the last monarch but three called herself Empress of India, I mean, you can sort of see that there's uh, a yeah. potential problem here, isn't there? There's, there's some issues for sure. <laughs> the best part of this, of course, is that 
uh, you know, everyone's favorite British blowhard, Piers Morgan, got so <laughs> mad that somebody disagreed with his take on this interview that he stormed off of his TV gig live on television and then was summarily fired or quit. Um, hmm. And then proceeded to blame cancel culture for his leaving. So that was definitely <laughs> yeah. my favorite part of this whole scandal. Also, Excellent, the memes yeah. have been quite good. So gotta I, gotta yeah, get into indeed, that. Yeah, yeah. there's been a tremendous yeah. meme on. Yeah, I, I've got to ask you, Molly. Do you think it's better, having uh, seen both uh, recently, uh, to be in a racist monarchy or a racist republic? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess to the credit of the monarchy, they at least have better like pomp and circumstance. So yeah, um, they have horses. Yeah, yeah, there's like fancy horses and crowns. So I guess to that end, it is better. I mean, in the, also in defense of the racist monarchy, they have nationalized health insurance, which the racist republic has managed to not get its act together. On. So. Molly, would you have ever thought that you would you that you would say the sentence in defense of the racist monarchy? Uh, no. You know what annoys me the most? about this stupid fucking interview. So in it, they revealed that the the absolute trash Daily Mail released their address to the public, which we had already known. They had moved to a house. They were living in Canada. They weren't even living in the U.S. But the, the, the trash-ass Daily Mail released their address, and so they had to leave their house and they weren't they didn't have anywhere to go and Tyler Perry the like American movie director actor guy let them stay in his very fancy house somewhere in California and I hate Tyler Perry um, and have long found him extremely irritating and now I have to like begrudgingly like him because he like bailed them out when they needed help hmm. in a moment when no one else was going to help him so mostly I'm bitter that now I have to like Tyler Perry <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Once again, the Americans destroyed the British monarchy by spitting tea. Spilling tea. That was definitely yeah. the best. That was definitely the best. Uh, the best that take. Was the on best this. meme of all, so, indeed. Yeah. And of course, it's come out today that uh, that Prince William has said that his family is not racist. Uh, mm. Which uh, anybody that has uh, family members over the age of thirty-five knows is an incorrect statement to say about <laughs> anyone's family. So mm. yeah, yeah, it's not um, looking good. Not looking good. Yeah, uh, Paul, uh, speaking of memes, uh, you have been uh, uh, collecting all kinds of uh, memes about the Dutch political parties, so uh, yeah. which we've all been enjoying greatly. So what, yeah, the, the, yeah, explain that to the, uh, to, to the listeners. Very much. Yeah, now I have to explain <laughs> memes. That is, uh, that is always well, very tricky. Um, yeah, there, there's, all of a the sudden there is this meme format that emerged, I think, a week ago or something, and it basically is um, yeah, a list of uh, 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 items for example beers and mm. then it relates to the political party so you have 15 beers labeled uh, you see pictures of 15 types of beer and underneath it you see a political party that belongs to that beer and it is just the greatest uh, meme format as I'm looking up uh, these memes for mm. example um, Heineken belongs to the VVD which I think it's because, completely you know, accurate these things are scarily accurate. accurate yeah yeah um, um, a, a can of very cheap uh, half liter beer belongs to the PVV. Yeah, but specifically is... from a German brand as well. Although, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Schultenboy. Um, uh, Fernandez belongs to Bay Ain. I also thought it was very accurate. Yes. Advocaat to 50 plus. Uh, the, yes. the, the alcoholic eggnog uh, <laughs> thing that your grandmother always uh, eats. Which is delicious, um, by the way, in defense. Oh, you of think that. it's delicious? 
Okay. Uh, mm. And uh, the, uh, this, this bottle of um, snobby uh, champagne belongs to the Forum for Democracy. See, I took issue with that one because I thought Forum for Democracy surely should be represented by dodgy cheap vodka. With a with a shot yeah, of no, with a yeah. shot of Novichok. I'm mad about this because I like champagne <laughs> and I don't think that those fascists should be able to take it away from us. You can leave them with something that's terrible. Um, but what I absolutely loved about this meme format is that the, the a sub meme of this meme is that Volt, the new uh, yeah a, a very new popular political party. Uh, always has something with a uh, baby's bottle of milk yeah. and that's sort of the sub meme of this meme so yeah. uh, uh, another one for example was um, uh, types of coffee yeah. and which party it belonged to and uh, it, again Volt had a, had a had a baby bottle of, uh, of milk so yeah. I, yeah it was uh, uh, I, I really like this meme and uh, it's starting to become popular and pop- more and more popular and you see uh, more of them emerge so yeah I'm really, really looking forward to uh, what else we're going to see yeah I really like the coffee one as well I liked, um, my favorite one the coffee I think was just the SP was just a cup of machine, your know, office machine coffee in a plastic cup. Yeah, which is in a plastic bang cup. On. Yeah, <laughs> a nice touch. And the pate for the dealer was a glass of water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very fitting. Yeah. And Hun Links was minty, of course. And yeah. uh, 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 I didn't understand the latte macchiato for the favorite day, but I, I, I'm probably missing something. I liked mm. the houses one. Have you seen the houses one? It's very accurate. I think. Yeah, that one. Yeah, was, yeah it, it was done by a an actual uh, 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 a political geographer who uh, is really uh, always looking into these kind of things. So uh, he 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 actually substantiated this with uh, scientific uh, evidence. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, on the subject of uh, dodgy products, uh, Paul, that uh, brings us swinging around to the uh, op of the week. Uh, which oh is, no, no, uh, no! You cannot. No, 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 you no, can't sorry, sorry, escape your confession oh, no. here, oh, Gordon. Oh, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. It's t- it's it remains a dodgy project. So yeah, I, I thought that you were just segueing into your own job title, but but then you tried to it? avoid it. This this <laughs> embarrassing confession. Embarrassing confession? No, I've got nothing to confess. I just. Uh, I mean, you have apparently bought uh, Sonia Bakker's latest diet book, which is your no, new favorite thing. No, no, this is fake news. After I heard that your her last diet book was your new favorite thing, which something you could say in perpetuity for about I don't know ten to twelve diet books or something like this. How many she, she written says at this in, point? Yeah, something she says in perpetuity about all her diet books. But um, yeah, the, 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 this came from the news that uh, Sonia Bucker and her partner, whose name I've already forgotten, have uh, split up, and it was in the, obviously in the wake of uh, Harry and Meghan. There had to be some kind of celebrity drama in the in in in, in the Dutch celebrity sphere, and this apparently was it. Um, so yeah, I f- I feel like Sonia Bakker and Harry and Meghan are not quite on the same level of fame. Well, who um, would be in the Netherlands? You know, that's yeah, the thing. maybe in the Netherlands. Yeah. Even in the Netherlands, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I I wasn't I hadn't heard of Sonia Bakker, but uh, Paul uh, regaled me with the astonishing uh, news that Sonia Bakker is so well known as a writer of diet books and a serial, as a serial diet book writer um, that she's actually made her way into the dictionary. So and that yeah. uh, there is actually a verb Sonia Bakaran, which means well I'm not quite sure what it means but it seems to, I think it means to sort of devoutly follow her um, her diet methods and there is actually yeah new- it, it it means following her latest diet methods yeah. oh yeah yeah okay. yeah because yeah, they're no. constantly evolving and changing right even though like she sort of writes these books that say like this is the best the ultimate the greatest whatever diet method then eighteen months later or two years later she has a new book that comes out that is purports to be the same thing but with a different diet exactly. method 
Yeah. Yeah. No, so I'm not at least bit interested in the diet books, but I do like the fact there is a verb derived from her name, and obviously the past tense is Chasonia Bucket, which uh, I want to use in conversation. <laughs> and that's all. We will. Uh, we will be getting you one of her her latest book or whatever it is for your uh, for your birthday, Gordon. You can I look don't doubt to it. That. Oh, yeah. We must do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Speaking of dodgy products. Um, Usually the uh, drug criminality is concentrated in Brabant, but this time the police found a marijuana farm in the quiet town of Bennebroek in North Holland, just south of Harlem. One tiny little detail made the entire internet laugh for days, because the farm was located above an ice cream store appropriately called the Pablo Isco Bar. Uh, the news was uh, picked up by people... Name. <laughs> no, it is an excellent name. Uh, the news was picked up by people on Twitter all over the world. Uh, and uh, yeah, they all recalled the story about the subway train in Spikenissa. And the combination <laughs> of the two sort of made them love the Netherlands even more for some reason. Um, neighbors in Bennebroek said they weren't surprised by the marijuana farm. They told reporters the street smelled like weed all the time. <laughs> and he also said that they are not looking forward to the inevitable hippo plague coming to Bennebroek in a couple of years. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. It is. It's a really bad joke. I, I like to make it. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Are you going to explain the joke? Uh, yeah, it refers to um, the real Pablo Escobar, who uh, was arrested. I believe he lived in Mexico or something. Or where was it? Uh, Colombia, It was right? in Mexico. It was Colombia, yeah. yeah. But he had this, this, this private zoo and all the animals escaped, including uh, uh, his hippos. And now Colombia is suffering from a hippo plague. Yes, because and hippos are assholes. Hippos kill more, more. Uh, th I think they are the most deadly animal, maybe the most deadly mammal. Like they, they are extremely deadly and vicious. They're very, very they aggressive. Surprisingly yeah. fast. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're very fast runners and they're very aggressive, very territorial. So. And yeah. if they're mad at you, they will spin their little tails around and poo at the same time, sending <laughs> a fan of shit in your direction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a Cherry Baudet rally, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't be, have to be mad the hippo is going to be number three on the uh, on the list for a uh, forum <laughs> a Nazi hippo I wonder how that looks like I don't know but I bet you if you google image search this you're going to regret it I mean you will just have to stand behind this forum for democracy hippo and you'll get your brown shirt automatically <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, standing behind a forum for Democracy Hippo or in front of a forum for Democracy Speaker is basically the same thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you, you get the same kind of uh, thing uh, in your in your face. Don't you? oh, can we please move on? I'm so glad that I'm here to bring the to elevate the, the conversation. tone of this yeah, podcast absolutely. down to where it needs yeah. to be. This week, we've got no news from the coronavirus press conference. Nothing's happened in the election campaign. The Netherlands is still a tax haven. There are even more bicycles and the wolf population has gone down by one. So nothing to see here. Switch off, make a cup of tea. <laughs> There's literally no news. <laughs> no. You would not think that we were, what, six days before an election. It's amazing. Mark Rutte and Hugo de Jonge held another press conference this week to tell us, uh, well, nothing much really. Uh, <laughs> although coronavirus infections have come down since the turn of this year, the numbers are still too high, so the lockdown's been extended until March the 30th. Despite increasing calls to ease measures such as the curfew or the ban on serving drinks at pavement cafes, because science has shown that the best way to restore people's physical and mental health is to let us all get drunk in public. Um, <laughs> so I have a question, Gordon. Yeah. As I understood, uh, there was... 
no Verzuplinga, no easement of uh, re- lockdown restrictions. But there were, in no. fact, some corrections, I believe is the word that was used. Yes, that was how uh, Mark Rutter tried to square this particular circle, because you may remember that he said uh, repeatedly when he introduces curfew that it would be the first measure to be lifted. So, But of course, uh, the, the, um, it is true that uh, last this week, um, Mark Rutter said that uh, th- some of the rules were being relaxed, but this wasn't lifting restrictions, this was correcting restrictions. Yes, uh, correcting he also said that these restrictions. Were, these things that were chain- being changed, and also when you referred later on to uh, possibly opening up cafes, he said that's not uh, a measure that is an agreement with uh, the sector so yeah so, so some good uh, linguistic um yeah um <laughs> gymnastics going on here um in yeah. the, the press conference uh Ritter said throughout the pandemic that the 9 p.m curfew is the first measure they'll remove once infections have fallen um so in order to avoid contradicting himself he announced as he said a number of corrections so shops will no longer be limited to two customers per floor uh, apparently they found that quite difficult to police instead there's a much easier measure where it'll be based on how many square meters of floor space they have which so, makes more sense anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. So the bigger the shop, the more people can be in at the same time, basically. Yeah. But th- that, that was initially uh, already a yeah. rule, right? Uh, there, there, uh, there, there was a, one customer allowed per 15 square meters or something, yeah. uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, that's the rule now. I think previously it was like two customers on each uh, each story. So if you had a four-story um, no, building... But I mean, at you... the beginning of the lockdown, I remember that, that supermarkets were restricted, uh, uh, had a similar restriction. Yeah. So based on their oh, size, they, they, were allowed to allow, they were allowed to have... But uh, I think this is more restrictive. One per every 15 square meters to me seems more restrictive than it was before but maybe I'm wrong um, there'll also be swimming lessons uh, will be allowed again for children uh, because the summer's coming up so they want children to learn to swim before they um, yes yeah, before they start diving into the canals um, and the rule allowing people under 27 to train with their sports team that's being extended to everybody <laughs> and Ritter also said it was clear the lockdown couldn't carry on in its present form but at the same time government advisors had told him it wasn't sensible to loosen the lockdown under the current conditions so he yeah. just loosened the lockdown a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. So, because he also said we should be taking more risks. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the curfew is really starting to get extended more often than uh, the Soldat van Oranje musical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, starting to think so, Willem Engel was right about the curfew thing, man. Yeah. Um, so I assume we're going to stay in lockdown forever then? Well, no, because if you believe Hugo de Jonge, and, uh, you know, why wouldn't you? Uh, the vaccines <laughs> are starting to get the upper hand. Um, and that's why, even though he was warning us that we were on the brink of a third wave, Ritter said he wanted to look at reopening pavement cafes and possibly lifting the curfew in three weeks' time, at the end of March. Uh, they've also extended the advice not to travel abroad um, by two weeks to April 15th, but uh, they are hoping to allow some travel in the May school holiday. And the ban on flights in the UK was quietly lifted on Tuesday. This wasn't announced at the press conference. It was just included in the uh, guidance afterwards uh, because the outbreak sneaky, management sneaky. team said the dreaded British variant uh, is here anyway. So it made no sense banning flights in the UK. And also um, worth noting, the UK now has about one third as many cases per capita than the Netherlands and a much lower positive test rate. And yet, as hmm. I understand, is in a more strict lockdown than we are. So it's funny how that works. Yes, they are. Yeah, and they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're emerging much more slowly as well. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so what are our numbers saying, Gordon? Well, it's kind of not great news, um, but it's not terrible either. Uh, we saw a rise of around 25% in reported infections in the second half of February, although that did have quite a lot to do with the fact that more children are being tested in the school. In the last week, we've seen cases kind of level off, but also a small increase in hospital admissions and intensive care numbers. So both those figures are at 
back up to about the highest level they've been in six weeks. We've got around 1,900 hospital patients, 550 people in intensive care. But there, there is better news with the vaccines because infections are dropping by more than 20% in the over 80s and 30% in the over 90s. And there's far fewer cases in nursing homes, which is also reflected in the fact that fewer people are dying. So once you start vaccinating the 50 to 70 group, who are the people who are most likely to end up in hospital, uh, we ought to start seeing some real progress. So are we cracking on with the vaccines? Well, again, here it's like not terrible news, but it's not great either. Um, the vaccination rate has picked up in February, but last week it dropped again because we've had all these problems with delivering the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, there's also been, of course, the whole um, question marks about AstraZeneca that were raised by countries like Denmark, who suspended using the vaccine because uh, they're worried about the side effects. But De Jong has said uh, that's not a problem. We're going to keep on uh, injecting people. And the health council has said it's OK to use in over 65s because some countries said that um, older people um, or that they weren't sure if the AstraZeneca was safe for over 65s. But we are getting an extra 169,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine uh, in the next two weeks, and the Janssen vaccine has just been approved by the European Medicines Agency, so uh, everybody uh, fly, fly a flag and uh, dance a little <laughs> Um However, yeah, but it's Janssen, nice. there I mean, is the a upside to that one is it's a one-shot vaccine, so that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Again, that should mean we should speed up, but of course we're not actually getting it until April. And Janssen have said that uh, they're struggling to meet their target of delivering 55 million doses to the EU in the second quarter, so we're not quite home and dry there either. Um, but yeah, well, once it arrives, so it should, that, that should speed things up as well. Um, and of course, Hugo de Jonge has promised us an app, so everyone rejoice. Again? Not <laughs> yes. another one. Did we? Another one. Have we actually gotten any of the previous apps? They do have a Corona Melder yeah, app that apparently one. nobody seems to be using, right? There's a Corona Melder app that either it. nobody's using or somebody said, um, pointed out to me the other day that the Corona Melder was testing them at three times a day, all of, all of which are actually during the curfew hours. So it was completely useless. Ah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. But there was a um, second app announced and we never got that one. No. So this is the mm. third announcement and hopefully we'll get it. But yeah, you know, I, I don't trust Hugo Jung on this no. at all. No, I, mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really trust you going to young on much of anything, but especially the apps. <laughs> this is the Corona test app, and this is uh, supposed to show if somebody's been vaccinated or if they've had a recent negative test or if they've recently recovered from an infection. Um, but it won't say which hmm. of the three, because Young has made very clear that vaccination will not be compulsory and will not be that there will be no indirect pressure uh, to put um, for people to get vaccinated. But the idea is that if you use this app, uh, you can have things like mass events, such as a concert where everyone uh, produces a, a green tick at the door on the Corona Tester app. But don't you like? Don't you get confirmation from the GGZ if you have a negative or a positive test? And presumably you would also have some sort of like documentation that you have a vac vaccination done, right? I mean, like, it just yeah, seems like it's just... Yeah, but then you like can store just... it in this app and then you yeah. can show... You just have to bring your phone around. Yeah, and but presumably you have it in your, like, your email anyway, right? It's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it seems unnecessary, but okay. Go off, Hugo de Young. Yeah, but he likes his apps, Hugo. So he does like his apps. They, well, well, he, 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 likes, he likes announcing apps. With only a couple of days to go until the election, we finally had a busy week on the campaign trail. Until now, the campaign has been pretty quiet and we uh, hadn't seen much happening. But this week, election fever finally 
broke loose. Uh, of course, everything is different due to the pandemic and all parties, with the exception of one, moved their campaigns to the internet and are trying to reach voters online. Uh, another way to reach voters is to appear on television and as a result you cannot turn your TV on without seeing a politician's face on it. Current affairs show Newsur received a lot of praise with their approach. They invented a new concept called asking politicians critical questions and they have become the biggest hit in the campaign. Uh, every evening a leader of a political party is a guest on the show and they get bombarded by tough questions uh, about broken or unrealistic promises about the party's ideology and also they have three unhappy voters who are also allowed to ask tough questions. Uh, so I thought let's take a look at all the parties and all the leaders and what they have been uh, up to uh, in the past week. So uh, we start with VVD leader and Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Uh, he has a relatively easy campaign, even though uh, you know he's obviously the subject of attacks by most other parties. Uh, he enjoys a significant uh, Prime Minister bonus, of course, because he is the Prime Minister and he's seen as the leader of the country. Uh, and uh, as a result, the VVD is uh, mostly uh, fo focusing their campaign on Rutte's pizza topping preferences and whether he says friet or patat. Molly, what do you think he says? Uh, he's wrong about both of these things, I believe. He's wrong on both of these things? Yeah, because no, he says no. that he won't eat pineapple on pizza, which is yes. an incorrect statement. And also, I think False. that he's a freak person. Wrong. Oh, no, is he he's a patat person? person. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so he has one counts. redeeming quality. That's no, he's correct. <laughs> he's correct on both counts. No. No, I agree. Not. I agree with that as well. I'm yeah. ordering pineapple pizza for dinner just no. just because of this conversation. I'm gonna. I'll send well, you guys photos. That's fine. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to do. I wouldn't have to witness it. So, and I'd send you a vi video of I'll, me like slurping down the away. pineapple pizza. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in the Telegraph uh, on Monday, um, he was uh, looking forward to the formation progress and, and he said he doesn't want a normal formation because in the current crisis, the country cannot permit a lengthy formation. Uh, because like in 2006, uh, because in 2017, it took more than 200 days to form a new coalition. And he is proposing to postpone the formation talks and instead formulate a national recovery plan. He calls this uh, the first chapter of the coalition agreement. And after the Corona crisis uh, has ended. He said in July. I don't know why he uh, expects that to happen in July, but okay. That's when uh, uh, Jonas says we'll all be vaccinated. So it's obviously true. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, that's obviously the reason then. Yeah. Uh, and he says after that, a formal formation can be done and the details of an agreement can be negotiated. It is expected that the formation process will be very long and difficult because looking at the current polls, a coalition, coalition with four and perhaps five parties is not outside the realm of possibilities. It is almost inevitable that Mark Rutte's favorite day will win the, uh, the election. Uh, it's currently polled between 36 and 40 seats, almost twice as many seats as the second party, that's the PVV, pulled at around 20 seats. Hmm. So uh, what do we think? Is Rutte doing a, a, a good campaign? Or uh, what do we think? How is he doing? He's just playing a very defensive campaign, I think. And uh, like you say, he's yeah. pretty much impermeable. The PVV has uh, dropped a little bit in the polls, but it's so far ahead that they, they can afford to. I think it's more interesting to see if any of the other parties comes through and overtakes Wilders in second place. Um, I think that possibly could happen, but we haven't seen it yet. Um, and also the small parties, uh, which whether any of those get seats. Yeah. I mean, voters yeah. like Rita, they don't really seem to love the VV Day that much, but it does not matter because people like Rita, Rita is stable, Dutch voters like stability, 
I mean, I think that Especially he, now. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, even then, I mean, what has the Netherlands had? Like four prime ministers in the last 20 years. I mean, compare that to, yeah. you know, other countries where you see four prime ministers mm. in the, just during the corona crisis. I mean, I, I I, don't think I'm surprised. And I think Rita is doing exactly what you would be doing when he's in the position that he's in. Like Gordon said, I mean, they're so far ahead in the polls that he doesn't, they don't really have to do anything. Um, they've, they've apparently put out one ridiculously bad campaign ad, which is like people going around with a cutout of Mark <laughs> Rutte, because I guess he couldn't even be bothered to show up to his own party's <laughs> political ad. Um, yeah, and that's it. I mean, they're not even, you know, you look at the campaign poster and it's just like Rutte's face. You can barely read the Baby Day logo on it, right? I mean, like, it's very clear what yeah. the Baby Day is campaigning on and Rutte is popular. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I don't, I don't think that any he- of this is particular surprising he doesn't have to do very much no. to uh to, to to keep his position keep driving uh, his sob keep sort of turning up <laughs> like yeah. is, i think you know as long as i think there was an article in i think in dispelled today or yesterday or something that was like you know mark ritza becomes a jihadist the baby day loses one seat in the polls <laughs> like, I, mean, I, think that, I think sums it up pretty well yeah indeed yeah, one person who is not doing well, though, is Wopke Hoekstra. Uh, the finance minister was, uh, you know, convinced uh, to lead the CDA party into the election after Hugo de Jonge, who narrowly won the leadership election, decided he couldn't combine the number one position with his job as health minister. And initially, the CDA was very happy with Hoekstra as a leader. But now they are starting to regret this. Uh, Hoekstra's campaign is not coming from the ground and his performances in debates are also not very great. Uh, he doesn't seem to uh, know his own party's manifesto and very often when asked about the CDA's proposal, he can't give the person a clear answer, whether this is a journalist or a random voter. And this all started when the CPB, the central planning agency, published the macro macroeconomic effects of the party's manifestos last week. Algemeen Dagblad noticed that, according to these calculations, CDA proposed to cut the unemployment benefits by half. They asked uh, Hoekstra about this, but he was really struggling to give an explanation and he, yeah, it was clear that he didn't really know what he was talking about. And in the news here, cross-examination, where uh, Hoekstra was a guest uh, earlier this week, uh, he was also quizzed about the CDA's manifesto, and again, he failed. Um, I, I really love that um, uh, news here presenter and Coca-Cola Christmas truck denier Jeroen Wollaars <laughs> at some point asked, um, <laughs> uh, he said to, uh, to Hoekstra, shouldn't this be something to think about before the manifesto is written? And yeah. he, he also said, uh, these problems shouldn't arise at the news table and yeah it was really worth <laughs> worth to uh, to to watch if you if you if you missed this and you speak dutch look at look this up on the internet yeah, it was very it was funny yeah, it was amazing. He, yeah. interview. and he yeah. doubled down today on this uh cutting the uve the veve thing so he had said yeah. kind of offhandedly i think a week or two ago that he thought that they should cut unemployment support from two years to one year which I mean, in light of everything that is going on, just seems like the most tone-deaf comment to make. And then he tried to walk it back a bit. But then today, he sort of doubled down on this and was like, no, no, we're going to do this, but in 2025. Like, this just does not seem like the biggest problem that is facing the country at the moment or the right time to sort of, like, have this discussion. But, yeah, I mean, coming from the, you know the guy who said that the Italian health service should be investigated because they can't handle Corona. I don't think Mm. that we're like particularly surprised by this. 
It's really striking, actually, hadn't occurred to me until just now, that uh, Hoekstra is the one who's really coming under fire from the opposition, from from parties like the PFDR, about uh, things like the minimum wage thing. They're not really shooting at Rutter because he's too far ahead. It's almost yeah. like they've accepted that Rutter is going to going to win, and uh, their yeah. best chance of uh, doing well is to try and uh, cut seats off the CDR. Well, and in Ritz's yep. defense, he doesn't say dipshit stuff like Hoekstra does all the time. <laughs> Every time Hoekstra opens his mouth, he says something terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, the Sedia yeah, yeah, really needs to find some party leadership who like can keep their mouths shut. Like, I don't understand why they keep having these people who just are just like endless sort of clips of like dumb shit things. Did you did you hear about his uh, comments uh, on the International Women's Day? Oh no, no. But whatever this is, it's going to be bad, isn't it? Yeah, because he shared a personal story on Instagram that as a kid he was uh, surprised that his mother, as a woman, was able to buy her own car. And he, he described this as a uh, mind-changing event. But then two sentences later he talked about the necessity of a diverse recruitment committee to break implicit role patterns, um, which uh, yeah reinforced this image. I was going to say, that sounds a, like a McKinsey statement right there. A McKinsey exactly, statement, it, yeah. It reinforced this image as a this McKinsey consultant using incomprehensible jargon. And... Um, he also called D66 leader Sigrid Kaag anti-Sigrid at yeah, some Yeah, this point. was also and dumb. It also didn't help. So yeah, yeah, this is also terrible. Yeah, I mean, like, all you have to do is just not say that. Like, that's, that's all you have to do. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. And know what your party is proposing. Right, yeah, I mean, that also seems important. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, p- people did warn before he became leader that uh, he didn't have any experience in debate because, of course, he became a minister without ever having been an MP or stood for election. Yeah. But everyone sort of brushed it. So didn't seem to think that was a problem. And now, guess what? It's a problem. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah he's not a good politician. <laughs> not a good campaigner. No, not a good campaigner. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. if you want to make an argument for him being a technocrat, I'm not sure I would agree with that either. But I think that there's more to debate there. Yeah. I think it's very clear that he's like not good at this part of politics. Um, then. The next uh, person we're looking uh, into is GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver. Uh, he also had a very hard time on Newsuur. Uh, again, something to uh, to rewatch if you are yeah, speak Dutch. He sounded like a, an idiot. It was so. <laughs> this interview was so bad for him. Um, but but in his defense, everyone who was a guest on Newsuur sounded yeah. like an idiot. I, don't, so I think I, I honestly I do think Klaver actually came off. I think the worst of all the ones that I've seen. Although yeah. there's been a couple who I think will do badly who have not yet been on, right? Because Wilders is, I think, on Thursday night. No, he's so not tonight. going anymore. He's, he's pulled out. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was really looking forward to, yeah. to Wilders uh, at News here. But yeah, so that's that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, there was there was also a former GroenLinks representative that asked him very tough questions about these biomass plants, yeah. uh, which were built in many municipalities and provinces where GroenLinks had won elections. Uh, they uh, were built as these carbon-neutral solutions, but you know, recent studies shown that this is not the case. But nonetheless, GroenLinks is uh, continuing to pushing uh, f- to 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 have more of these uh, biomass plants built. Um, so yeah, that was an excellent uh, uh, piece, I, th- I thought. And also the rest of the campaign, Claver was is also also not doing very well. He's really lacking the energy he had in 2017. But uh, he did very well in this one-on-one debate with Wopke Hoekstra in the Pau show. Yeah. Uh, when was it? On Tuesday yeah. or yeah. Wednesday? Um, uh, mostly because Hoekstra was doing very badly. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Hoekstra was just really floundering. Yeah, it was it was a disaster. Uh, Hoekstra had uh, chosen two uh, topics, I believe, and he just didn't know anything about these topics. 
So mm. that was very strange to see. Yeah. Um, and uh, Klaver had also a very good stunt, I think. He asked his party's Scientific Research Institute to calculate the effects of the Favor Day's party manifesto on greenhouse gas emissions. That was published on Thursday afternoon. Uh, and he, uh, by doing that, he showed that the Favor Day is uh, actually a very bad choice if it comes to climate. I'm not sure how many uh, Favor Day voters have now de- will now decide to vote for GroenLinks instead, but at least he is now shifting the focus of the campaign from uh, from everything else to the climate change so yeah i think that was a pretty good move yeah but I've, i mean I've, I've got to say i'm surprised how badly uh, i'm surprised how bad a campaign just clav was having because uh, you know, obviously the last election he was uh, you know he, he had a very good campaign and coolings yeah. one uh, went up and won a lot of seats and they sort of tripled the number of mps they had he's, he's just not been um yeah functional on that level uh, during this campaign yeah, it was uh, it was interesting, Gordon, because you had I th- was it this week that you had the Kroon Links or was it two weeks ago interview with one of the Kroon Links the MPs? One I did. That was, that was two, maybe three weeks ago, actually. Yeah, and that interview yeah. with this MP who I'd like never heard of before was just seemed very energetic and interesting and made me sort of wonder like where this kind of energy was for Kroon Links on the campaign trail. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm not, I'm just surprised because they, they, they seem to have I mean they seem to have quite a coherent manifesto together. They seem to have a good sense of where they were going. And Claver had this uh, uh, thing at the beginning where he wanted to uh, bring all the uh, left wing parties together under one umbrella. That's kind of failed and fallen away. Everything he's tried just hasn't come off. Off, basically, yeah. I think that's the thing. Last time, uh, a lot of his uh, eye-catching stunts and his kind of, um, you know, he had these uh, big campaign rallies where he stood there in his shirt sleeves uh, in, yeah. in a room full of people who all adored him. He said, uh, "I guess, the, the, yeah, the, he hasn't had that opportunity this time, obviously, because of the coronavirus. Maybe Kroon Links is one of the parties that um, hasn't uh, done as well because the party's image is so much um, dependent on Claver's personal image." You know, there yeah, is a, almost a verging on a personality cult uh, in uh, uh, at times, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah they haven't been able to uh, exploit that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and then uh, going to Gertjan Segers of coalition party ChristenUnie, uh, he understands his party might be needed again in a new coalition, and therefore he's taking a harder stand on medical ethical issues, even though this isn't really a hot topic in the current campaign. Uh, but this was exactly the topic uh, which caused the most friction between the ChristenUnie and the D66 in the last formation. Uh, in the end, it was decided not to make any decisions in this area, but Segers is now promising his voters that he won't make concessions sessions there and that he will ask a very high price if he uh, is to join a, uh, a coalition so um, yeah that might be interesting for the coming uh, coalition talks this uh, this development didn't he also confess something extremely scandalous on this uh in this episode in this did edition? he yeah well, yeah he said that he comes from an sgp family and now he's a really? uni mm. person and this oh. was like really a, a familial scandal. problem it was really he's a scandal he said yeah. yeah oh i missed this yeah Maybe it was on something else, but uh, he did say this. I was I was listening to something that was talking about it like this week, earlier this week. Yeah, and then uh, moving on to Geert Wilders. Uh, as we already mentioned, he uh, cancelled his uh, his appearance on NewsUr. Uh, it was supposed to happen on Thursday evening. The official reason was that he needs time to prepare for a one-on-one debate with Mark Rutte, uh, but he also refused to schedule a new appointment on a different day. So, uh, yeah, I think he was just scared of Mar- Marielle yeah. Tweedeker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd have, I'd have also loved to see the um, disgruntled PVV voters because uh, that's something yeah. I've never I've never seen Wilders actually confronted by uh, an unhappy by, voter. By an actual voter. Yeah, yeah that's no, a good one. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, as always, Wilders is the most absent campaigner. He uh, usually shows up in a number of debates and uh, basically tweets a lot. And if you compare h- h- the PVV campaign budget, which is basically his um, his uh, his uh, telephone bill, I guess, <laughs> uh, to uh, to the campaign budget of the CDA, uh, 180,000 euros uh, they spent uh, last week on t- TV ads and on uh, internet ads. Um, and they they polled the same number of polls. So yeah, uh, yeah Wilders is definitely the most cost-efficient campaigner, I think. Mm-hmm. Although, talk um, about a personality cult. I mean, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Um, Wilders also uh, used the corona debate in the Tweede Kamer on Wednesday as a campaign opportunity. He was actually the only MP that was actively debating and interrupting his colleagues. He uh, uh, made the debate almost a uh, one-man show, uh, in my opinion. He blamed Mark Rutte for taking away people's freedom with the curfew, and he also attacked other parties for supporting him. So, uh, yeah, uh, Geert Wilders really was uh, taking the opportunity to, uh, uh, to to let the voters know what he feels about uh, the, the, the corona strategy of the government. Now, as I say, it's interesting to contrast uh, Wilders, who's, uh, who's using debates in parliament to get his message across uh with you know um uh, the other guy in in uh, on the far right uh, which is a uh, Thierry Baudet who's uh, who's completely just walked away from parliament is out there uh, spreading coronavirus on his super spreader events in his uh, baseball cap and his uh, <laughs> uh, padded jacket uh, you know two very Can contrasting Can I ask styles. a question about this? Why sure is he wearing this baseball cap and padded jacket thing? It's Because he wants to sell them. He's a, he's a yeah he looks like yeah. a pimp basically. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. it's so, I mean, it's so different from his, like, sort of, I don't know, weird, like, fascination with, like, old-timey whatever the rich people stuff. And now he just sort of looks like, I don't know, a dad going to Costco on Saturday. Like, what yes, is this? Yes, but Molly, Molly, next to his stage, he has a stand where he sells the stuff he is wearing <laughs> to the people. Oh, uh, so this is just, like, a taking a page out of the Trump playbook, basically. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He, he, he is that guy just standing outside the shopping center handing out gym flyers, you know, basically. <laughs> Did I tell yeah. you guys about my run in with the uh, FA Day campaigners in, uh, in Delft? No. So I, we were out last weekend uh, doing something, and I was running some errands, and I was walking, and. Uh, there was two guys who were campaigning for the FA Day. They didn't have on any, like, Forum for Democracy, like, T-shirts or anything, but they had a tote bag with them with rolled-up posters in it, and you could see sort of the inside of the poster was this, like, brown FA Day color, which is the only, (laughs) you know, party that uses this color. So they walked up to me, and they were like, you know, they started asking me, like, if I knew who I was planning to vote for or whatever, and I said something to the effect of, like, oh, yeah, and they were like, you know, what do you do you care about i don't know something about your freedoms and like this and that and i was like oh yeah i think i saw one of your campaign posters and i had a picture on my phone because i had seen a forum for democracy poster but it was the sort of um some artist had done like kind of a satirical one where it's kind of like a picture of Bode's face and like there's a little teeny tiny forum logo where the hitler mustache would be on it um <laughs> and i think it says something like along the lines of like yeah but it's just a joke or something like that and i was like yeah i saw yeah. one of these campaign posters like up from you guys the other day and I showed him a picture on my phone and the guys got like really mad they were like that's not from us I was like oh I don't know I mean it says the same thing right yeah, they were annoyed it was entertaining I'm, I'm happy to see that you found a new hobby harassing every day uh, yes. campaigners yeah. I mean it's yeah. not about it's cheaper than therapy so <laughs> I guess that's true more fun as well yeah for sure 
What do the British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, Bermuda, and the Netherlands all have in common? They do are you have a racist monarchy? Uh, yes. Also that. Hmm. <laughs> uh, they are tax havens, and it is unfortunate that I got stuck living in the one that is not a beautiful tropical island. <laughs> the Dutch have come in at number four in a worldwide ranking of countries most complicit in helping multinational corporations pay less tax than they are expected to, according to the NGO Tax Justice Network. The ranking is based on how intensely a country's tax and financial system allows multinational corporations to shift profit out of the countries where they do business and consequently pay less tax than they should. In particular, gaps in Dutch legislation that allows interest, royalties, and dividends to be transferred elsewhere, and the way multinationals can offset losses booked in another jurisdiction, are behind the Dutch's high position on the list. Like a whole host of other things, this news appears to have had no impact at all on the elections. Yeah, I'm really surprised that we, I mean, I know the Netherlands is a tax haven, just not that we are at the at fourth place in the oh, world. Yeah. I, you guys were at I fourth was... place for like the last three years running. It's four years really? running. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You well, all this are is, uh, this an is actual tax haven. Yeah. Hmm. I thought it was actually yes. higher than fourth, but uh, mm. certainly, Europe, certainly Europe's number one. We can blame the British for the rest of them because the rest of them are all overseas British territories. Yep. <laughs> so just this dueling racist monarchies sort of <laughs> trying to see who can get the best sweetheart tax deals. If you haven't managed to move your savings offshore or cut a Starbucks-style sweetheart deal with the Blasting Dienst, why not cut your tax bill by donating to the Dutch News Podcast? We can't promise any sweeteners or sun-kissed beaches, but we will give you a shout-out by way of thanks and do our best to answer your questions. This week we welcome two new patrons, and first of all we say hello and thank you very much indeed to Eleanor Spring. Eleanor describes herself as a UK transplant to the Netherlands. She and her husband have been here just over three years. Didn't something happen in the UK around about three years ago? That no idea. Sort of, quite a few no. British people seem to have moved over here mm. in the last three to five oh, years. Tr- yeah. It's, it always remains a mystery why. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, they I think want it's to just stay, the weather. Right? They think yeah. the weather is better here. Yeah, just a, a, a little bit, uh, yeah, a degree or degree, degree and a half warmer or something. One one day <laughs> less rain than uh, than yeah. Uh, anyway, they want to stay, and she says, we're beginning the challenging process of getting to grips with Dutch politics. Do you have any advice for where we can find a coherent summary of the policies of the 9 billion plus political parties? Um, um. <laughs> well, DutchNews.nl <laughs> yes. has a, uh, a a website, a feature, I believe, where yep. they uh, have listed... Um, well, they have a list of, 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 of a number of political parties that uh, take uh, part in the election. Not not all of them, because, you know, that would be crazy. But um, I, I believe 15 or something. And I think yeah, it was uh, I think we did all the ones that were pulled to get a seat, at least one seat or like we're on the cusp ah, okay. of getting a seat. So it's like the parties that matter, basically. Yeah, and yeah. there are links in there because I think Groen Links and Desis and Zestok have both done English summaries of their manifestos, yeah. so there are links yeah. in there to those as well. So that's kind of a start. There are stem visors, but I think you need to. They're all in Dutch. I haven't seen one of those yeah. in English. No, um, they're sadly. all in Dutch. No, we haven't. Yeah, we haven't managed to do one on Dutch news. We talked about it, but we didn't have time in the end. Um, I mean, honestly, yeah. what you just need to do is. Paul will put together a list of these little Dutch memes about the political parties, and then you can just pick based on that. And to be honest, they're very accurate. So they're very you know, accurate, indeed. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you live yeah, in a yeah. house that looks like this and you like to drink this beverage, then you should probably vote for that political party. And let me say welcome and thank you to Joe Ryle, who has a very specific question. Um, it says, there are four stone lion statues on the banks of the Amsterdam Rijnkanaal, just north of the Amsterdam Zebrug. Can you help me find out why they are there? Um, well, we have looked into this for you, Joe. Um, so I think, uh, Paul, you, you, you found uh, some information about the stone lions, right? I did find some information about these stone lions. They are very beautiful statues, I have to say. Uh, but they were initially um, put there in 1891. That year, the uh, the canal was dug, uh, and, and these lions, they, um, they mark the location of a siphon. I'm not sure what the English word for that is, but it basically is an aqueduct. Uh, so uh, at that location, there is another waterway that crosses the, uh, the canal, but on a different level. Um, However, in somewhere in the 1940s, the uh, the canal was widened and the the sea form was demolished. Uh, so the the statues uh, of these lions they were uh, put in storage by Rijkswaterstaat. But then um, uh, Flevoland was built, uh, the the uh, the man-made uh, province where you do not want to live. Uh, and when it exist when Emmeloord was was founded, Rijkswaterstaat donated these lions to. The city of Emmeloord. Then in 1965, people from uh, nearby um, Krachenburg, another village in the North Oostpolder, stole one of these lions <laughs> and uh, put it in their village. Um, then Emmeloord demanded it back, but instead they, they, uh, they uh, made a replica out of it. They uh, built a mall and they uh, uh, gave that one back to Emmeloord. But then in 2015, the remnants of this uh, fison, this aqueduct, were demolished finally by, uh, by Rijkswaterstaat in Amsterdam. And someone noticed, hey, there, there, were, there, there used to be these, uh, these lion statues over there. We want them back. So this person... Uh, Sort of like Arthur Brandt, the uh, the art detective, mm. uh, sort of was sort of looking into what happened to it, uh, and they requested Emmeloord to give back these lions, uh, but Emmeloord didn't want to get rid of it, so instead they used this mole, which they used to make this fifth lion for for Emmeloord, um, to uh, reconstruct the other four lions. So that is how uh, these lions came back to their original place, and they're still standing there. So it's basically the uh, the San Marco horses stories of the Netherlands. This is a ridiculous wow. story. It is, this is a ridiculous way too story. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, oh, you, you managed to dig all the information out. That was a much yeah. more interesting story than I expected. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I sent a link. I thought you read all of, all of this, but you. Oh, uh, no, ob- God, obviously no. you were <laughs> no, 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 absolutely no. not. <laughs> Don't be yeah, silly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are replicas, uh, so the original ones are in Emmeloord. So if you want to see them, go to Emmeloord. If you'd like to join our happy band of patrons and ask us your questions, log on to patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash Dutch News NL. The Dutch bought 1.1 million new bikes last year. That's a 9% rise on 2019. And half of them were electric, according to new figures from industry bodies Rai and Bovar. Um, the total new bike bill hit 1.65 billion euros, and that's up 31% on 2019 because of the high cost of bikes with an electric motor. The sale of e-bikes rose 30%, and bike shops continue to be the most popular place to pick up a new bicycle, but 10% of sales were online. I think the other, the, the second most popular place to buy a new bike is uh, from a junkie uh, yes. selling, selling bikes on the, on, on the, on the streets of, uh, of, your, of your nearest uh, city center 
I didn't uh, know there was other places to buy bikes, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the surge in new bike buys has been partly driven by the coronavirus crisis, which led to uh, people avoiding public transport and holidaying closer to home. Um, and the surge in demand was not without problems, with the lockdown hitting both sales and deliveries in March and April. Once the lockdown was eased in May, sales picked up again, and the year 2020 ended very positively for the bicycle industry the organization said um so um uh, did you ever ride on a electrical bike molly i have so a friend of mine was one of these people who bought an uh an e-bike uh at the some at some point during lockdown because she did not want to have to get back onto public transport and i she you know cycled to my house one day she lives in rotterdam and uh she let me ride hers around and it is disc yeah very uncomfortable how fast you go without feeling like you're going so fast i exactly. think i would get distracted and run into a tree and die so i will not be purchasing one but i understand why people like them well that happens very often uh people may have a lot of accidents with them and yeah. also they're very heavy so if you fall there and you have this yeah. bike on top of you then you can't get it off mm. you uh increasing uh, yeah causing you to to be in yeah. a lot of danger especially if it happens on on the road or somewhere out in the uh in the countryside so um, yeah, especially after riding like a shitty Oma feats that's like two steps away from just completely falling apart from rust for the past 10 years <laughs> of my life. It was very like sort of discombobulating to kind of get on a, an e-bike and just go really fast without doing any work. It was too big a transition, yeah. Yeah, it was too much for me. I, I, I did buy a new bike at the start of the lockdown, actually. In, oh, yeah, uh, you did. Uh, in March. So I did my, I did my bit for the, uh, for the bike sales. <laughs> I um I also got a new bike, but I did not purchase one. I have a swamp feet uh, now. Ah. I have joined the legions of uh, obnoxious students with the uh, the sort of bike loan. With the blue program. tires, yeah. Yep. You you joined the blue tire gang. I joined the blue tire gang, and then Paul will know this. I at some point in my life stole a paper recycling box from the TU, which is also blue. And when I needed to put a box on the front of my bike, I drilled a couple of holes in it and uh, zip tied that onto the front. So I really look like a student. That's top integration points. Just uh, just desperately trying to cling to my rapidly fading youth, I guess. <laughs> Sports news this week is all about going round ovals at high speed, but for once it was the athletes who stole the limelight. The Netherlands came away from the European Indoor Championships in Turun in Poland with their biggest ever medal haul. Nadina Fisser won the 60 metre hurdles for women, Famke Bol took gold in the women's 400 metres, and the Wilhelmus was played for the men's and women's 4x400 metre relay teams as well. And there was also one silver and two bronze medals for all the squad of 35. And meanwhile, over at the World Speed Skating Championships in Dordrecht, Susanna Schulting eclipsed that feat on her own. She won five gold medals, including the all-round title and the relay, and crossed the line first in every one of her 14 races. I could not have done any better than I did, uh, an ecstatic Schulting told NOS. Uh, fair comment, really. The championships were missing the top Chinese and South Korean skaters. Uh, they weren't able to travel because of coronavirus restrictions. Um, has something happened in football? I literally have no idea what has happened in any sport since I like left no, the of course podcast. Not. That's why just, I put the sports section back in, especially for you. Just, just not even. <laughs> so you can clip. keep up to date. 
Yeah. <laughs> Did something happen? Is Dick Avocat still alive? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, he's still going. He, yeah, okay, no, good. Was, good. He, Happy to hear. Glad to hear. Yeah, I said, no, no, there's, there's, Dick, there's Dick Avocat news coming up. Oh, um, I'm so excited. Ajax and PSV are pulling away at the top of the Eredivisie. Uh, Ajax have a six-point lead. They beat Kroning a 3-1 at the weekend. They're also the only Dutch club still competing in Europe, but we recorded this podcast before the Europa League clash with young boys on Thursday night. <laughs> I'm sorry, place. the what? So uh, they're playing young boys. Yeah. Who names Young these boys football are, teams? They're, they're a team from Switzerland. They're, they're like uh, Go Ahead oh. Eagles. They've got an English name and they're called Young Boys. That's they're, not they're, they're from Bern. So they used to be referred to as Young Boys Bern, but that sort of sounds like uh, an, an indictment. So, oh dear. Oh so, uh, so now just usually called Young Boys. This is, this is worse than um, American football names, which are all incredibly <laughs> racist. Yeah, keep, keep this team away from Kevin Spacey because. Yeah, um, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, PSV have opened up a five-point gap in second place ahead of Arzette, who lost to Fidesa, and Dick Fad Advocat is a happy man because his Fyodor team put six goals past Feyfeyfey on Sunday. Not the most disgraceful performance by Feyfeyfey this season because, remember, they were the team that lost 13-0 at home to Ajax back in October. I cannot believe you all have drugged me back on this podcast to do a sad animal story. <laughs> Jesus Christ. A female wolf thought to be the solitary animal crossing around the Velua National Park for several years has been killed by a car, officials said at the weekend. The wolf had recently found a mate. She was pregnant. She was hit by a car while crossing a provincial road in Ada. Several wolves have been killed on roads in the Netherlands since 2018 when the first wolves are known to have permanently resettled here after a 150-year absence. This is terrible and sad. Thanks, guys. Way to end the podcast yeah. on a great note. Very yeah. sad. But there's some positive animal news uh, as well that we, we had in I'm not today sure as well. that the lion thinks that this was positive. <laughs> what, is, well, are the, you the, talking about the lion vasectomy? Yeah, there's a lion vasectomy. Yeah, the, the, yeah there's a lion the, in uh, the Burkhazo in Arnhem. I and, got uh, a press release today. <laughs> um, hang on. I'm going to look up the press release so I can actually read to you what it says because it's ridiculous. Okay, I am <laughs> I got very it excited from, about it. I got it from the Arnhem Zoo. Uh, yeah. You shared it? it with us in the app group, so we can all I think. It oh, yeah, I think I did share it with you in yeah. the app group. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it says, press release, free footage, zoo applies vasectomy to a lion. Yeah. <laughs> and then the subhead is, adult male lion has already fathered five cubs at Royal Burgers, Burgers Zoo. Uh <laughs> I just, I cannot believe that this is worth a press release. And even better, there is an actual video of the vasectomy. Um, there was a note that the zoo vet did not choose for castration, but favored vasectomy. In the case of castration, both testes are removed. In the case of vasectomy, Vaughn's deferens are interrupted. When a male lion is castrated, very often it loses its manes as well, hmm. it says. So. Okay. There you go. So yeah. the lion's not being castrated. He he retains his pride and joy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. And we'll tell you a story about lions or something as well. My thanks to Molly Quell and Pal Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week.
do yeah. I really have to come back next week? You got you clearly don't need me. It's you can get your bridge commentary from Paul. We can have more bridge followers. news. Yeah. I don't, no, there's no bridge news. I will news. I will look for bridge news, yeah. 